A clinical trial has just reversed type 2 diabetes in 40% of participants. Wow. How big was the field? Uh, 83 subjects. Not big enough. No, but that's still pretty good. It's a small clinical trial. That's but, very small. When you get get to, yeah. get me to the two thousand mark, and keep the forty percent thing, and I'll be pleased. Yeah, currently it says one in ten. Mm-hmm. But I mean, still compared to nothing. Yeah, compared to none, <laughs> this is good. Yeah, especially given that type two diabetes I, I, I is on the rise, bigger, especially in the United States. Sizes until it 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 is scientifically a stable thing. According to the Society's Endocrine Facts and Figures report, one out of ten American adults suffer from type 2 diabetes. Rate, that's the one in ten, by the way. Oh, okay, that's the one in that's ten. That's the one in ten. Okay. Um, yeah, because otherwise 40% does not equal one in ten. Um, raising the possibility of reversing the disease can prove to be a strong motivation for patients who actually make lifestyle changes and maintain them. Uh, McInnes, one of the authors of the study, said that this new treatment could also give patients... Pan- uh, patients' pancreases, which is not a statement that I usually say, a rest <laughs> and lower fat stores in their body, thus improving insulin production in the long run. So right now the treatment has proven to be effective only in the short term, but further study and other drug combinations could ultimately lead to better results and higher remission rates. So awesome. this is a stepstone, but it is a very positive one. So one in ten Americans, that's Let's see, 330 million. So we should continue federal funding for health and science. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good thing. Good good thing that, well, at, at least uh, the Affordable Care Act didn't go away. So now if we can just get that the rest of the Trump budget to just be ignored, <laughs> that'd be nice, too. Okay, so that was a cool thing. And now into a little bit of... Harder science, not that that kind of thing isn't a hard enough science, but apparently there's a way to collect solar power without solar panels. Yes, it's like that's intriguing, isn't it? This uh, this article is out on futurism, and of course, as as usual, you can get you can get all these links in our show notes available at areallyradio.com. It's basically a synthetic leaf. Uh, discussion on climate has persisted for decades since we've discovered there's uh, man-made influence on environment. Yes, that actually happens. Um, so, it's a molecular leaf. Uh, let me get a screenshot of this for you folks. There you go. So, that's that's what the molecule is looking like. Uh, Lang Shi Li at Indiana University and the international team of scientists discovered this novel way to recycle carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, with the use of light or electricity, the molecule built by the team can convert the notorious greenhouse gas into carbon monoxide, and the molecular leaf is the most efficient method of carbon reduction to date. So, Ooh. where is this? This is pulling carbon out of the air. Yeah. Just straight pulling the thing it that out. we discussed like one two shows ago that we needed. Yeah, so basically the the carbon is the solar energy that it's that's actually pulling out. Um, it's it's pretty darn impressive. 
Uh, let's see, it's a nanographene structure. So again, we're talking about graphene, which is kind of like a unicorn. You know, it's, yes. it's there, but we haven't really managed to make it uh, one of those fully effective big production items yet. I feel That's, like when we do, it's going to be insane. It's going to be, yeah, we have so many purposes for we this graphene product. Mass produce graphene? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's going to be a game changer. Um, so the molecular's nanographene, so not just graphene, but nanographene structure has dark color that absorbs large amounts of sunlight. The energy from the sunlight is then utilized by the molecule's rhenium engine to produce carbon monoxide from carbon dioxide. Uh, the molecular leaf would then help us tackle the greenhouse effect on carbon dioxide since, yeah, and we, we know, we know about the greenhouse effect. We're, we're big yeah. on that. Um, and while Lee is glad his innovation is efficient at tackling greenhouse gases, he hopes to improve the molecular leaf by producing one that can survive in a non-liquid form. Okay, I didn't, interesting. Uh, the team is also looking for ways to replace the rhenium element with manganese, which is far more common and therefore much more affordable for reproduction. So, yeah, it's going to, uh, at least it has the possibility to halt climate change and maybe, if we put enough of these into production, reverse some effects. We're going to need it. Oh dear, oh, oh dear, whatever God you, you worship, yes, we're going to need it. Um, what I'm hearing is once we can mass produce graphene, it's like mankind learning to mass produce steel. It will be that revolutionary. But it'll be, what's the, what, Moe's Law for computers? Moore's. Moore's, Moore's, Moore's Law. The, the same thing, where it's that you occasionally have these occasional spurt jumps of the this one innovation then changes everything, and the entire society jumps. Oh yeah, well there, there's the, the next one. there's the incre- uh, there's the incre- the slow incremental increase, and then there's the revolutionary, revolutionary change. Revolutionary increase. Yeah, then this the is slow this increase. This would be again. more along the lines of Renaissance than Moore's law. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it'd be the difference between going from vacuum tubes to the the integrated so microprocessors. Yeah, integrated yeah. circuit. Yeah, I mean, so, it, it's that big of a difference. So, once we get there, uh, it, 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 it this feels as revolutionary as being able the, to mass produce steel. The uses mm-hmm. of graphene are unbelievably yeah. varied. It's well, ridiculous. They, they keep coming up on the show over and over with different things. It's like, okay, this Again. is an amazing thing. Oh, it's graphene. Can we get that? In small quantities in a lab in a perfect environment, yeah. yes. Like uh, we're, we're hearing stuff about you know yeah. literal micro machines, nanites being made with this stuff. Yeah. So because this well, is, I mean, that's what you yeah. use the use as the conductors, you know, because these little machines they're still electric in many cases, and so you have to be able to pass that electricity in itty bitty tiny little spaces. So yeah, imagine hard. ICs made of graphene. Instead of uh, silicon. Yeah. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's silly. And also, um, for those of you out there and some of us here on, on this show have been looking at, uh, at maybe building new hardware, you know, bu- building new rigs and things like that. The yep. Both Intel and AMD, because AMD finally did actually come out with new chips. Yeah, it's been, been a while, but they finally came out with new ones. Um, the production scale is like 
14 nanometers, I think, on the chips now. Uh, it's there. really small, which is like half again what it was in the previous generation chips. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was again like half again. So it's that's the Moore's Law thing. It's like, oh, look, everything's getting smaller and smaller, which means you can pack more into a small amount of space. And as long as you can do that in an energy-efficient way, you don't melt the thing. That's kind of important, too. So well, also, it means we have more items yeah. of convenience. It Be is 14 nanometer. 14 nanometers, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did remember. We have that. a <laughs> cell phone that has all the processing and video capability of a, a full-on tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not far away. Not far away. Um, I know that Intel and Microsoft are both working very heavily in the ARM micro, microprocessor, you know, which is what we have in our phones. These are all ARM risk-based um, architecture, which is very power-efficient, but doesn't have a wide instruction set. They're working on putting all of those now into server farms. So Ooh. that way you'll be running Windows Server environments and also um, emulators and full VM hardware on ARM architecture in the data center. Which is going right. to be a huge power saver. So that's... More apps running multiple places, mm-hmm. being able to have your your Chrome-like experience well, on it's, your phone. It's not about what you're going to be holding in your hand. It's about what's going to be... What the cloud is the made end. of. It's what the cloud okay. is made of. You know, because remember, there is no cloud. It's just someone else's hard drive. Yeah. You know, that's all it really is. So, but those hard drives out there at, at Google and Intel and Microsoft and, yes, even Yahoo still, you know, that they, they all take up power. Yeah. So if they can make those servers more and more, more power energy efficient, efficient then the entire enterprise gets less expensive and the more services that they can offer. Thing of beauty. Uh, okay, trying not to die over here. Okay, here we go. Yeah, alrighty. Ah, <laughs> uh, actually, you know, since I'm about to cough up my lungs, uh, Amber, you've got this one. Yep. Emotional appeals, potentially more effective than facts. I think that's pretty much uh, 2017. Yeah. So, go ahead uh, and take it. This is an article that's on uh, Slate called It's Time to Give Up on Facts. And um, it's it, it's just basically overviewing kind of a lot of what we've talked about on here, um, where uh, repeating a falsehood, even as part of a meticulously researched article that debunks it, actually reinforces the falsehood. Um, and the human brain seems to experience fact-checking as a statement followed by a bunch of Charlie Brown teacher noises. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's um <laughs> it it basically goes into further detail about um you know like stre- research stretching back to 1945 psychologists linguists and philosophers have continued to explore why and how our brains cling to lies 
Um, meanwhile, lie-loving brains have kept at it, allowing the stream of email rumors um, that we've all dealt with like a decade ago to metastasize into an entire fake news industry and eventually a White House that traffics in alternative facts. Um, so it's it's the, the whole article is kind of an amalgamation of this research um, talking about... Um, how essentially we've become even more so than we were creatures that are more interested in how we feel than what the actual reality is around us. Um, and even though it, it's kind of a, a plea to, to liberals in a way, because uh, it, it, while liberals tend to pride themselves on caring about evidence, science and accuracy being factually right, or at least grounded in reality um being meaningful to our self-concept, it doesn't matter, unfortunately, um, as far as trying to sway voters or, or even trying to uh, persuade somebody that you know personally. Um, people want feels. They want uh, empathy. They want things that make them feel good, um, that make them feel secure. And so toward the end of the article, the plea is more... Um, Specifically, we should be catering to the feeling of wanting safety. So like if somebody says that the Muslim ban is okay because all terrorists are Muslim, it might be more worth it to ask about that fear of terrorism than to rail against the falsehood about terrorists. Um, now, ethically, I disagree. But as far as in, in so much as you are trying to sway a person's opinion who is never going to be persuaded by fact anyway, you might do more good um, by appealing to that emotion rather than trying to convince them with actual for realsies facts. Um, if, if I made historical perspective, mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know if you guys read the jungle, uh, back <laughs> in high school. Yeah. But, uh, that, that particular novel is part of the reason that we got the FDA, the federal, mm -hmm. Drug, food and drug food and administration, drug administration yeah. um, and it was a artistic appeal to emotion that was backed by fact. Mm -hmm. That got actual change. Yes, and a lot of the arts—that thing that we should be spending money on—we're um, not gonna. Yeah, and that's why that we're not. Is being able to make the emotional argument for positive change. Yes. And I mean, that's something that that art and literature has, has done time and time again is try to uh, elicit an emotional, visceral response without overly being like, here are the facts of the matter and this is what you should feel. Um that's always been an important function of art, even down to like comedy and, and satire and everything else is to try to make you feel that the facts are right rather than trying to convince you in a, in a purely rational way. So this goes all the way back to Aeschylus folks. Um, so and... the, the last line of this is look the zombie in the face and then offer it your heart. Mm hmm. But really, I still just want to 
take the zombie's head off. I mean, is that really wrong? I mean, in that no, analogy. No, it, it's not. It's not and wrong I'm... to feel that way. Okay. No, and <laughs> that's and my feelings on the matter. Putting it out of a lot of misery. Yeah, that's it's and, putting it out of my misery. Absolutely, that's that's my feeling on the matter. And the position of the article even is, you know, it doesn't mean that we give up on facts entirely, and especially in the news media, they shouldn't stop correcting lies. There's still a place for fact checking. Um, human brains are not fundamentally incapable of revising closely held beliefs, um, but we know enough to know that fact checks are not going to quell the zombie lies coming out of the gate with facts is like bringing a Wikipedia page to a gunfight. People have to be primed and ready if they're going to question the appealing information that's fed to them and helps reconfirm their worldview. Truth is not enough and it never has been. You, yeah. you, you have to hit them in the emotions to open them up to an attack with facts. Yes. You also have to have to establish a lot of common language first. Mm-hmm. And in doing and so, is, you get on the same the emotional page. Appeal. Well, yes. not, well, not even think... not even that. It's it it can't just be an amount of definitions. Like, okay, to you, what is truth? Because truth I with a capital that's still, T that's, that's still aiming too high. Andy. To logic. That's, that's well, still yeah, too but high, if Andy. you if you then get them to explain it, because m- most of the time, in my experience, here's you know personal anecdote. Uh, if you try to get somebody to explain these things, they don't have a definition right off the top of their head. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they have to hem and haw about it a little bit so that they can even put it into words. Mm-hmm. So, Unlike us, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about it on a daily basis. It's right. not, yeah, they're, they're not dealing with metacognition, thinking about you're, thinking. You're, I think the, the divide is in... The way different groups of people who believe in truth or who believe in a ton of lies want to go about their day. And the people who spread a whole bunch of falsehoods, they don't want to think about the things that they know. They just want to know things. Yes. But they also innately want to be right. Uh, yes. Well, you they can want be, to be right. You can have, you can perpetrate a falsehood and still believe that you're right, and that's where the feeling comes in. You have to somehow make them feel like they've been wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that the article really gets it right with talking about the fact that you want to address their feelings of security or insecurity because that was something that Trump did excessively well it's was he made a strategy yeah. yeah he made them afraid and he and, and not only did he make them afraid he took their fears that they have been kind, that's kind of been festering for 8 years or however long in in many cases much longer than 8 years but he took mm-hmm. those fears and he capitalized on them by saying i acknowledge unlike hillary i acknowledge that you're scared and I'm here to tell you that you have every right to be scared. He validated those feelings. He validated and, them and he laser focused them. And yeah. he goes, I can solve your fears. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not only that, but he also said he was the only one that could solve them. Yeah. Yes. The, the strong man option. Um, <laughs> the dictator and, option. Well, the, <laughs> this, this article makes it's all it, about sales. Put, puts <laughs> into a sports context for me. I, I love food and sports analogies. Um, this is boxing. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. You have to break down their defense through emotional appeal in order to get the solid punch of fact in. Mm-hmm. You have to work the body over. You have to, so you have to work the emotions over to get the hit to the head. I'm going to you punch you in down. the kidneys until you believe in climate change. <laughs> and you know yeah. which organization <laughs> no, I, I is am, woefully uh, underprepared to even begin undertaking such a task. <laughs> the DNC? Yeah. yeah, that would be but, the one. But this is for, this is actually a great article. This is a great find. Thank you, Amber, for bringing this. You're welcome. Um, this is pretty much a, a, a wonderful playbook for for us to try and use, which is again one of the things that we've seen in, in studies for Republicans, Republican voters, is if it hasn't happened to them, mm-hmm. yeah, or someone they know, it doesn't exist. Yeah, without mm-hmm. that person, that matter. close personal or it experience. Yeah. So you have to make an emotional connection. That's the first body blow. You have to make an emotional connection to something that they actually care about. Mm-hmm. That's how I so, got my step-grandmother to stop talking to me. You have to make it personal. I made it personal. And she yeah. and then she blocked me. Well. Okay. <laughs> but you you have to make line. it, a, a, a per, as you said, a personal thing in order to, to get them to accept fact. Um, so, like... If they actually do have that token black friend, mm-hmm. trying to put things into context that harm minorities, mm-hmm. in context of their friend, mm-hmm. that is exactly uh, what I did, and that's when she blocked me because she didn't want to hear it. Well, some people are are, are yeah. going to be resistant to it no matter what, but yeah. Dan's right in that you have to put it in the perspective of it affecting something that they personally give a shit about. And that's why I, I, I can, I keep yeah. saying things like the personal is political and the political is personal is because I think there is a large disconnect um, in, in the, in particularly the American population of, well, I'm not going to get involved in politics because I don't need to worry about that. It doesn't and affect me. It yeah. doesn't affect me. And I keep seeing these whole, uh, I, I mean, it's schadenfreude, really. It, I, it I probably shouldn't be as gleeful about this as I am. Oh, no, you should be. But stories oh. where it's like, this woman voted for Trump, and now her husband's getting deported. Yes, and I happened. thought they were going to keep yes. the good that ones. Came up. Yeah, that came uh, up this week. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus, I, fuck. You know? Well, like, no, that, that, was, that was a lie that was told. Right. Right. Again, yeah. How do you... how? People don't understand that on the campaign trail, and this goes for for, for, for both sides, though the Republicans rely high more heavily in, in this day and age than the Democrats do, is an appeal to emotion. Yeah. It, that is something that the voter thinks will be policy. Mm-hmm. It's just a po- boilerplate statement it will not be fact. Mm-hmm. In fact, there is no way to make it fact. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to keep the good ones. Yeah. Oh, that's an yeah. alternate fact. How are you going to cross-check but, for that? How are you going to financially pay for that when you're giving all these tax breaks? Right. It, it, it is playing the shell game with the human mind. 
I know how we'll pay for that. It's fine. What we're going to do is we're going to make drug test everyone on welfare and get all those lazy bums who are using it just for drug money off of welfare. Yeah. But, I mean, the reason we know why to ask these questions and to say things like like you just did, Dan, is because we're not disconnected from the political process. And they are. And that's why it's so important to try to get them to see politics as affecting them personally, because otherwise they're not going to pay attention. They're going to believe whatever they hear, um, whatever appeals to their emotion, whatever confirms their worldview. That's all that they're they're ever going to hear. Is well, this also another this thing is, where it goes to education and the idea of citizenry? I'm, and I'm going to fundamentally disagree with you on this point, is that the we have an enormous voter base of approximately 60, 65 million registered GOP voters who go out every four years and make stuff happen. And they have a fun, they fundamentally do not understand the world around them and mm-hmm. what makes it actually function. Mm-hmm. And you cannot change that entire voter base. You, you, you can't fix that, what exists now, with the simple education initiative. No. You're going to have to appeal to those people in a way that they respond to, which Most requires a fundamental shift in the way the DNC advertises and promotes its message. Mm-hmm. It should be through the arts. Yeah, and, and I don't see that as so much as a disagreement. It's just an addendum of like... Yeah. You know, there there's the thing we just talked about, and then there's the other fact of the matter, which there is a, a, a large percentage of the GOP base you just aren't going to reach. Um, but you're, that that group of people, they're never going to go away. They no, came. They will like, this they is die. an entire generation of people who came out of a of halfway decent education system, and then they managed to vote. To destroy it, <laughs> there, there is, yeah, but there only is after... some, some stuff to that. Though part of the reason why we we saw the AHCA fail is because Trump Care. Let's the, just call it Trump well, Care. What part of why Trump Care failed mm-hmm. is it attacked the AARP, which yeah. has been one of the largest voting blocks that the Republicans have been trying to appeal to for years. It is their voting block. In many they, they keep appealing they, to them by cutting Social Security and cutting Medicaid. That doesn't work. I submit to you that they did not intend to pass it at this time. No, because no. That's Ryan not had a, a, a Anne Rand he wanted know, to. fountainhead size boner. Yeah. <laughs> on, on that note, let me, let me say this because I find this amusing having looked at it a lot recently. Libertarians, the hardcore, diehard libertarians like Paul Ryan and everything else, are some of the most amazingly optimistic and idealist people oh, that yeah. exist. Yeah. They don't bother to actually look at the facts of what actually should it, their, the, should their idealistic world actually exist. They have not connected yeah. all the dots as to what that means. If we just yes, treat have. everything somehow no, magically, everybody oh, yeah. will do good, and it will all be great. They – so Paul Ryan and and the ilk around him who are amazingly optimistic about this – Yeah, but Paul Ryan, um, Paul Ryan is not a libertarian. I was just speaking of the libertarians, not the people that wanted the AHCA to work. You know, I was I was dovetailing off what Stephen was saying. 
that that's totally a side I know. Point. You were then I'm, talking I'm about going, something I'm else. That's why I'm direction. I know. That's <laughs> why I'm bringing it back because you were about to spin us off into a weird land that had nothing to do with what I said. <laughs> so back. And now, and now for the now for the dive in okay. land. Now right. that we are not talking about libertarians. Now I'm not talking about libertarians. I know. That's why I'm now going to you. Go ahead. You're not talking about libertarians. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the they're not amazing idealists. They're salespeople. Yeah, we never said that they were amazing idealists. He was just saying it. No, he no, was I saying that libertarians, libertarians are amazing idealists. Not Paul Ryan and the GOP necessarily. Rand Paul. He's... Yes. Not oh, Paul. Oh, Rand Paul? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. a different Great. Paul. There's a lot of Pauls. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. But... No, a good yeah. portion I, I was, of, I, I missed, of the GOP yeah. are salesmen. That's wh- why but, I did but that. some <laughs> live in a and in a bubble that if we just give money to the wealthy, mm-hmm. everything will be good. They still believe. Well, in not trickle, all man. of them have the IQ of Lewis Gomert. All right. Oh, Louis well, Gomert. Oh, this oh, goes Gomert. back to what the article talks about about how when you repeat a falsehood, even in the the. The process of debunking that falsehood, the brain holds on to that as truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it you, if, holds on to it as information that's important because it keeps coming up. So you're reinforcing easily, those ties, which right. the initial tie was that it's truth. Yes, exactly. And when you talk about, you know, we have this whole generation of Republicans who came out of a pretty decent education and, and did this shit anyway. Yeah. One of the reasons why is because we've had decades upon decades upon decades of inundating them with Rush Limbaugh, with Neil Bortz, with all these, you know, quote unquote, conservative Arm- news networks, Fox News, who have done nothing but reinforce these lies. And, and these are people who grew up wanting to trust the media um, because at, at the time that some of them grew up in, the media was extremely important. Yeah. Um, newspapers were still uh, considered, you know, your, your primary source. Yeah, your primary source of information. Um, so by slowly changing that and, and producing more forms of media where you had um, people like the to- the uh, conservative talk show hosts and all that repeating these lies and making these appeals to emotion and fear, like coming out of McCarthyism and everything like that, um, the more it essentially trained people to believe that this subset of the news is, is still, you know, something to be believed in, but everybody. There's different forms of news and what you trust. Right. And so that it's essentially, it was essentially a a, several decades of brainwashing is what occurred. Yeah. It's the Southern strategy taken nationally. And if we can combat that in some way, we may eventually see that part of the voter base literally die out. I just find it fascinating how they they seem to consistently show a lack of empathy. Yeah. That that is something that is being studied on a psychological level. Um and part of it is actually established it early education. Yes. Like when when you hit Three to five years old, mm-hmm. there there is an establishment of f- facts 
being able to change belief. Mm-hmm. Um, also, what is referred to as intellectual humility is established in that tiny little window. And that window is, is, what was it? Three to five. Three to five. Intellectual humility. Oh, dear. Then, then I'm screwed. My, my, my littlest just turned but, seven today, so. <laughs> but that the seeds of that are, are, are set between three and five. It becomes completely codified by the time that you're ten. Oh, maybe I do. So have you have time. time. Maybe I have time. So, I have time. But, it, no, it becomes <laughs> ironclad at that point. Um, but those who have intellectual humility are the ones that you can argue facts with. Mm-hmm. If you bring an established fact that challenges the belief, if you make a valid argument based on the, upon that fact, if not that they change their belief, they are forced to consider that they are wrong. Somebody who do, lacks intellectual humility, you will not even be able to get them to question. Mm-hmm. And something that plays into that, too, is this pervasive culture we have of demonizing being wrong and even demonizing changing your mind because we yeah. call it – and sometimes it is. Waffling. But we call it waffling. We call it flip-flopping when uh, some of the time it's just we changed our minds based on new information and new data and yeah. that data showed that this was actually the case and now we've you know changed oh. uh, again, to accommodate that. Back- goes back to education and the mm-hmm. importance of the scientific method. Well, that's that's the thing that. that that's the thing that they attack because yes. since science is autocorrecting, since the scientific method is automatically correcting where peer review and better ideas will win out in the end, something mm-hmm. that is end, ending up being more correct, you know, a better model of how things work, it corrects, it gets better over time. But it does change, and people I mean, are so change averse. Yeah, that but it scares that is, them. That it's how can you trust that? It just changed. It was you I, know climate change. With if the world was cooling twenty years ago, I don't know what you're talking about now. It was never that cooling. Is intellectual know, humility and and mm-hmm. the establishment of understanding the scientific method. But it comes down to- on in part being making that part of the human identity. It, it comes down to to effort as well. It's much easier to believe that truth is immutable yeah. than that facts can change once it's backed up by the the proper peer reviewed data. Um, well, they also don't equate truth and fact faith in the same in a sentence. Nutshell. Yeah, right. That, yeah, and that's and that's something else that we've seen a, a huge push toward is faith based education and. You know, all all this, uh, um, you know, education that's based on there are fundamental truths that will never, ever change. And it's these things that are not fundamental fucking truths. And once you lay that kind of foundation down, it makes people less likely to want to believe anything that goes against that in the future. And when you get them young... Between, you know, you talked about three to five. How many Christian or, or just religious in general preschools are there? They always well, try to get them before the age of accountability, before the age of reason really mm-hmm. hits well, so that they can get them in, constantly provide them that absolute truth that nothing has ever changed, that immutable truth. 
mm-hmm. and get them while they're young. Yeah, and only in the, rare circumstances do people beat the programming. Exactly. Can you say, can you say that just a little creepier? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> get them while they're young. The way he says, yeah. can you say it's a little creepier? But part of that is also you have a, to get a, them while they're young. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, he asked for a creepier. I gave him creepier there. Part, part of it is also <laughs> the how different churches, how different religions do the the human life cycle, as it were. Almost every single church or or religion has a focus nowadays on the children, child's ministry. Yeah. Within the evangelical bent within Christianity, and we're also seeing it in elements of the more radicalized forms of uh, anything, anything, yeah, anything. They they continue that as they become a youth, and they don't give up. Whilst a lot of the more liberal religions. Why was there a focus on the child's ministry? Partly to hook them while they're young. Partly because we just need to put the little guys away from where the adults are worshipping. They need to be somewhere uh, else right now while we're talking the, about rape and incest and all these other things. They don't well, need to hear well, about that. We'll put them over there doing, and we'll talk yeah. about, oh, Noah's story. That has all that things in it too, doesn't it? Well, we'll mm-hmm. just gloss, o- gloss over all that. We won't We, won't we will sanit- we'll give them the sanitized version of the religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually by the time you're 12, the more liberal religions, there's nothing for you. That's why most folks are trying to convince their parents, I just want to stay home on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've got, you know, soccer practice, football practice, something else. Because there's nothing for them from the ages of 12 to when you get married. So kind of like Jesus' story. It's just yeah, there's that this, whole yeah. gap. Well, yeah, we're um, missing a I, big I, Julie, you should get married at 18 or 19 in in most religious Have kids ideology. Oh, hell just no. immediate, immediately, and you must immediately start producing offspring, and right. as many of them as you can, because and they should also go to your church. Yes, mm-hmm. because well, of course you're, you're supposed Catholic, to yes, most definitely. consummate the marriage. Consummate the marriage because on the night put of. Put into that situation with minimal education. Forty weeks later, and <laughs> and maximum responsibility. The only thing you have time for left is default setting. Of these are the rituals that I perform on mm-hmm. a weekly, monthly, yearly basis forever till I die. Yeah, but here's another in fun fact: it, if we're diving into religion, that actually came out in a report this week. Um, is this is so not the segment for this? Oh, I, <laughs> this is just I, not the segment sci- for this. But this is sociology. This is still science. Okay, ah. fine. Just want to talk about Elon Musk. That's all. We will get to Elon Musk. Um, just get to any kind of Musk but, you want to talk about. But Musk yeah. Yeah. sociologically, here's an interesting thing. Whilst the Republican base has become more and more self-identified as Christian, mm-hmm. they have become less and less those that go to church. Well, they've become less the 
traditional church, and they've become the no. Christian light. No, it, it, it's the they re- identify as Christian. Many identify as evangelical. Yeah, so, but, but they do not actually more. attend service. Those yeah. that attend service have a higher likelihood of being moderate or centrist. What's well, isolation? Ah, I see. Okay. So it's, when they're when they're combined with other people, they well, you naturally have to have to have empathy with the people that you're dealing with every week. You know, you're yeah. you're seeing these you people. Have to have you're sharing your testimonies with everyone. Also, you are part of a specific community that mm-hmm. you have constant integration with, and you see everybody who's a part of said community right. age, experience right, so life. Well, it's it's also, an extension of the family unit. Yeah, at that point. So, but yeah. you also you experience births. Deaths, people moving away, marriages. This becomes yeah. part of your religious schedule. Those well, that o- self-identify as religious and just take the, the so, parts of the religion that meet with the worldview mm-hmm. and are and, and separate themselves from the community aspect are more easily radicalized. Okay, and something so, yeah. something else that happens in in churches, and I'm not saying that they give satisfactory answers to questions, but there is quite a bit of questioning that occurs in things like youth group or or um, even the some of the adult groups, like I, they have single women's groups and things like that, mm-hmm. where you are allowed to question the pastor or the minister or whatever. And and what the church is really good at doing here is moving the goalposts to make whatever scripture they're going to quote at you fit the situation that you're in, but. It, it it sort of allows for a broadening of, you know, we call it cherry picking a lot, but to them it's a broadening of what does this whole biblical scripture apply to? Whereas if you isolate believers, if you insulate them from that, they can stick to the letter of the fucking thing. Yeah. So no more is it like, well, you can eat shellfish. Is presented to them. Exactly. No, no longer is it, well, you can eat shellfish or have polyester blends because of whatever the fuck reason they come up with. Now it's no, no, no. Like this is how it exists. And everybody, the, the few, the scant few people around you are agreeing with that. So, you know, there is no moving of the goalpost. There is no broadening definition of that faith. It's just what's written down or whatever you're being told is written down, as Dan pointed out. I, I think you've, you've really hit on something there, especially when, when you take into account religions like Mormonism, you know, mm-hmm. the followers of the, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, yes. They, <laughs> for the longest time, no, you could not be a person of color and be a person of authority in the church. Well, that is until the United States government said it, stepped in and said, well, no, you can't do that. That's that's yeah. discrimination. That's bad. You, you can't do that. So all of a sudden, because of social pressure from outside the organization, they changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had an, an epiphany from on high, and they were able to change the doctrine. So, but then you have the ones that moved into compounds, right? And the the FLDS, the Fundamental Latter Day Saints, and mm-hmm. yeah, they moved into the compounds and they ignored those things, and they still have uh, 
polygamy. They still have, you know, the the sister wife thing, and they still do ch- child brides and all sorts of uh, things that are yeah. not palatable in the rest of American culture. Society. Yeah. And the and one of the twelve uh, indicators that you are in a cult is that you're not allowed to question authority or listen to any source of information outside of your group. Um. And that's because it might make you change your view. It might, you know, asking questions of the authority figure might make you go, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right to me. Or the authority figure may contradict themselves, and then it may put the idea in your head that they're not infallible. Um, so that's definitely a big part of it, too, and, and why um, a lot of these insular um, religious uh, offshoots are as easy are you know as easy to radicalize and are as dangerous as they are is because you literally have no avenue with which to voice any grievances with which to do anything other than obey yeah that's it they don't want and you're questions, never yeah. you're never exposed to anything outside of that so you don't you, you don't need to empathize because not only are you not allowed to ask questions but you are constantly told that the reason that you guys have to be this underground movement or whatever is because the outside world hates you and the outside world is full of sinners and the outside world is full of people who have been, you know, turned, uh, turned into demons or whatever the hell. Um, And so it's planted in your head from a very early age that there is no reason to empathize with these people because they're not people. Yeah, in-group, out-group behavior. If they are not people, then they can be treated as slaves. They can be mm-hmm. treated as cannon fodder. They can all be put to death. That's how mm-hmm. you. That's how you get people to do things that would be otherwise unthinkable. Yes, dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've had many, many long talks about dehumanizing language and how that comes into play with how certain things are allowed to occur. And we're seeing a lot of that in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really, I, I got to talk about Elon Musk. Okay, yes. talk let's, about Elon let's Musk. Let's talk about Elon Musk. I, I got to, because he's making press releases. He's making press releases on Twitter. Because he announced that the solar roofs were going to be available for sale in April in a tweet. No, but let's be, let's be specific. Not just in a tweet, in a response tweet. Yes. In a Twitter conversation, he was asked, how are the uh, solar shingles coming along? Is there an ETA? Hoping my roof survives till then, says Michael Holes. And Elon Musk replies, start taking orders in April. Now, this is also Thank combined. Tony Stark. I mean, Elon Musk. Exactly. This is combined with uh, with a few other updates that he gave on the Tesla Model 3. And the boring company, you know, his tunnel, yes. tunnel thing. Um, also, apparently, is, the I, I've got fun money to spend. Let's make some tunnels. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess some else to say about you know some of the the fun money and things like that. Um, also, he's worked on, uh, or at least Solar City has worked on the Powerwall Two, which is the the big battery system. It is apparently twice the capability of the original, which is it the would, same uh, size. Yes, same size, twice as much. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
Apparently, it is capable, according to one of these things here that I followed the rabbit hole, uh, Tesla's second-generation Powerwall packs twice the energy of the version 1.0 uh, in a compact 14-kilowatt-hour battery unit with built-in inverter that's capable of storing excess solar energy and supplying the power needs of a two-bedroom home for an entire day. So and the daytime's when it's charging. With my house, yes. probably need two of those and wouldn't have a problem. Maybe three, yep. at most. And they expand them. Yep. So Actually, I was... Three uh, would ensure. Yeah. I also love the fact that with the solar tiles, uh, they're expected to kick off this summer at the Tesla Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo, mm-hmm. which is where they're going to be producing them. Yes. There's um, your American jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Actually... As we've investing seen, everything solar, else. You will no, be again, investing solar, in the U.S. The solar industry, I think, is expanding at like 14 or 40 times every other industry. I, I saw 14%. Hey, guys, if you want, yeah. go, go back to school or take some correspondence courses, whatever it takes. Learn how to install solar stuff and learn how to mess with solar things. Guess what? You'll pretty much guarantee to have a job. That yeah, is literally that, what is coming. That and wind as we're moving more and more towards the the just single blade slight disruption. Yeah, the wobble for, for wind. Also, the also wobble, the underwater yeah. impellers. Oh, there's so there's cool. all sorts of things that are coming up there. I mean, it's been a push. This has been yeah. the area that people are passionate about. They they want to be able to capture energy that is there. We can do this. Yes. We don't need to dig things up and all that. Uh, also, the Tesla Model Three. Uh, let's see. So with energy collected from solar roof tiles and stored using the Powerwall 2, it's possible to charge up Tesla's all-electric Model 3, um, which is planned to enter production in 2017, so this year. Aside from its impressive range of 215 miles per charge, the Model 3 will come standard with the full range of Tesla perks, including self-driving technology and the bioweapon defense mode. Uh, I think in that's... fact, there was another yeah. article <laughs> that was going, Tesla's Model 3, also known as bad for the rest of automakers, <laughs> uh, because it will be, in, in theory, the safest road vehicle out there, Yeah, which will put the screws to certain automakers, Mercedes and Volvo, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Yes, and also Subaru. Yeah, Subaru is uh, one of those. We're the safest thing out there. So there's, yeah, there's that that things. has been a major market driver, along with fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. Tesla gets to get away with doing both. Yep, I was actually looking um, just this week. This is why why this is like yes, please. I was looking uh, just this week at at seeing what it would cost to put solar panels on my house. And see okay. what it would take, and everything. And it's from a geek point of view, somebody that has been looking at this and knows a thing or three about how electricity works. Uh, this salesperson was woefully inadequate at trying to actually tell me what I wanted to know. However, it was informative to go through the sales pitch. And either it's really a great system and I'm missing out and I should do it right now. Or 
I'm missing the other shoe that's about to drop on my head. Yeah. And those are the questions that I can ask because I know what the technology is and it doesn't necessarily add up. So what's the big thing right now, because a lot of these uh, companies are, of course, trying to get government regulation to remove the remove any possibility that you can generate your own power basically mm-hmm. they they want you to be power grid- there's power and power you have to be grid connected at all times here in the state of florida that is mandated you have to be connected to the grid period so in that you also have if if i was to get uh solar panels on the roof i would also have to get a new in a new meter a smart meter that would also have a interconnect that would allow power to feed back into the grid as the smart system would would allow that's legal they have to allow that um but there's also an interconnect agreement and things like that so if the power goes down in the neighborhood they would have to come over to my house and actually shut the power off from my house so they can service the lines things like that because it's a grid connected system because of that also, there's no batteries involved. So the power is going into whatever your utility company is. And what what happens here is that they give you energy credits and you kind of use them back. Because instead of actually utilizing <laughs> uh, or storing any kind of energy... Right. You're just taking load off of their system. Right. So, I know that. You know that. The salesperson was saying that, no, you are storing it on the grid. Bullshit. You're not yeah. storing it on the grid. What you're so, doing is so you're feeding where, it into them. where does them. FPL keep their batteries? Yeah, they, they don't do that. That's not how that works. You know, you generate mm-hmm. power on demand, which is why they don't like this. Because if you're removing demand, but you still have a demand, then they can't adequately figure out how much power they need to generate on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a by-the-minute basis. So it gets weird for them, and it makes it harder for them to do the job of actually providing for the grid. Also, you're feeding power into an aging grid, so they'd have to make sure that all the components are capable of having a bi-directional communication with both the communication part of it and the the power consumption portion. So it gets really complicated from their point of view. But they can do that because that it's they're an energy company. That's what they have to do. That's their business. So not a big deal. It's just a little complicated for them. And they don't want to do it because recalcitrants, they, they, all that. So in this system... I would essentially be offsetting what my house uses on a day-to-day basis with the solar panels. So I'm gone through most of the day. I'm feeding like, I think they wanted like a five, five kilowatt grid system on my house. So that would then feed into the, feed back into the grid all day long. And then as the sun goes down, I would then basically pull those credits back out at night when they're not generating any power. In theory, I would uh, then be paying much, much less 
only basically a fee of oh it was something like uh, $26,000 was the uh, the hardware loan agreement well it wasn't really a loan agreement but it was a 25 year purchase of of the hardware yeah it's interesting it's interesting and that includes all the all the installation fee turnkey system i don't have to do anything else and i would be then paying that company that installed them like $100 a month which is about half my power bill and in theory i wouldn't then have any power bill going to my local power provider. However, I know better. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have that interconnect fee no matter what because I will still have to be connected. I'm yeah. obviously using their grid when the sun's not shining, so I'm still pulling power from them. Yeah. If the power goes out in the neighborhood, that power does not feed my home. It just goes out because then the grid's open. It gets funky, weird, and I'm not going to do it because that's not what I want. Uh, I owe a company that does solar in Florida. Mm -hmm. They're based out of Gainesville. They Mm -hmm. they offer you a number of options. You can do the, hi, you're just connected to the grid. Yeah, this is a grid-connected system. That's that's what this is. This is a battery-exclusive system for non-residential use. Right. And then there's the hybrid system. Mm-hmm. You have batteries on property. You are also connected to the grid. However, should the grid go down, mm-hmm. or you are generating so much because it can't trickle through your line, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that you are building up in the battery. Yeah. And then when the grid goes down, you just flick a switch and you're running purely off battery until the grid comes back on. Right. And actually that would be an automatic transfer switch, similar to what you'd have if you had a uh, generator backup. So basically you would detect, oh, line power's off. Well, we'll just use this battery instead. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I'm surprised that... Battery. Um, they don't have a configuration of the power wall for exactly that purpose. They do. That's exactly what it does. That's what the power wall does. Essentially, yeah. But yeah. It's, I don't know that it's been advertised as that. Instead of buy, instead of buying a home generator, just buy a power wall. Well, that's basically what they're doing. But at the same time, sometimes you're going to be using more power than those batteries are going to be able to... To sustain. Or those batteries are only going to be able to hold out so long. Right. Having a right. gas-powered Jenny is an excellent option, especially when you're here in Florida. Yeah, it's it's until the gas station runs inclusive. out of gas on the first day of the hurricane. Well, actually, at, at that, your stockpile. <laughs> no, no. At that point, if you're fortunate enough to have natural gas around your home, usually the natural gas lines take an awfully long time to um, depopulate. Yeah. To depressurize. True. So it's that there's I natural had, gas. I had natural gas all the way through my week long blackout that I had during the hurricane. Um, another option for generators Three. is high. If you've got the money, um, the get the biobot, which is a way of turning your fry oil. 
and whatever fry oil you can get your naughty little hands on mm-hmm. into biodiesel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over a biodiesel. Jenny. I'm over biodiesel because you actually have to, you still have to process it. And that's what the it takes. It, it takes yeah. a decent amount of work and it takes a decent amount of chemistry to, yeah. to actually make good biodiesel. Uh, but the BioBot is a, last I checked, a $5,000 investment. Yeah, I think I'd rather just buy more. That For $5,000, you can buy wholesale. You know, you can go out and you can get five kilowatts of solar. So you, you don't need it. You know, unless you're going to be running, you know, like a school bus or something, you know, to to get from wherever to wherever, you know, yeah. So that that's what you're going to need need that for. You're going to need that for vehicles, unless you happen to have a Tesla, you know, Model Three with a bioweapon defense. That's what I'd do with five thousand dollars. Yeah, I put a down payment. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So I need I need them to come up with their pickup truck. One day, one day they might. Um, The Model X, that's a crossover, so yeah. it's got some more room in it. It's already on the road, and it's beautiful. But it's also $105,000. Uh, it's still, it's beautiful. It's still beautiful. The pickup will be less. It's beautiful, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, no, if I had the money. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What does $105,000 buy you? A full-size SUV that can do 0 to 60 faster than a lot of sporty cars. And, hey, it's got yeah. a towing capacity of 5,000 pounds, so I could do that. It does? Uh, wow. <laughs> the 2017 Tesla Model X, which has an MSRP starting at 85000 mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And it's coming past you at 5000 I That's like that. 4.9 seconds. That's ridiculous. Just yank that trailer right into bits. <laughs> right, folks. If you have Ludicrous money, speed. Yeah. Be ready to invest in solar roofing. Yeah. That's... And vehicles with bioweapon defense mode. I'm I'm basically like okay so yeah in in order for what I want to do I'm going to need a battery system so yeah. the the grid connected system that's nice and all but really all that does no, is you, that you need a hybrid system that helps the that helps the utility company you become me. a power generating substation for the utility yeah no by unfortunately Florida law you 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 would have to have a hybrid system right. installed. And I'm fine with that. Because or honestly, I just build several tiny houses on my property with solar roofs and don't connect them at all. Yeah, so in a real estate. Something like that. Well, yeah. the tiny Most homes states are, are like this. Though. gray area of what is residential. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. In Florida, though, they would just come down and like bulldoze them. <laughs> because it's Florida. And no, stand my ground. Hi, I do not recognize you as somebody with the utility company. I shoot you. Eminent domain. I will stand my ground against the bulldozer. Eminent domain. Don't get <laughs> out of my way. Yeah, well, no, you're no, just no, you're, taking you're, out you're, the messenger because they'll just get somebody else to do it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that fighting city hall thing, which can be done, but you've got to be um, got to be real good about. It, besides, if you fire a utility worker. All All that does is give the the local police department an excuse to use the government. Yeah, don't give the local police department or sheriff's department a chance to use SWAT. Don't don't give them that option. Because they really want to, and they've got cool new stuff. They they do. They've got lots of toys, and they come dress the party. So that's not the party that you want to be to. 
So give it five years, and Tesla will be selling Iron Man suits. I'm okay with. Oh, uh, maybe a little more than five years. Maybe a little bit more than five years on that one. So uh, I'm all ten. about the alternative energies, but what I'm waiting for is fusion. And uh, Lockheed I, Skunk Works has going to be waiting a long time. Three more years to make good on their promise to have a a working prototype, and seven years left, or eight years left on the to market with their jet engine sized fusion reactor. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to miss the mark. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And even if they did, they they probably wouldn't bring it to market. So to speak. Um, I think my my personal feeling when they said we'll have a working prototype in five years and to market in ten, my my reaction was you've probably been using this on satellites already, huh. and. <laughs> You've been doing so for a while, well, because they came out with a they came forward with a radically different design than what anyone else has really followed or attempted to create a or base a fusion reactor around, and said that they could do it in five years, which tells me they're just going over their old notes, <laughs> possibly. But I don't think it's going to be. Uh, it wouldn't be a satellite thing. They would. Because things like that really kind of require a little bit of gravity. Also you know, a lot of space. Well, no, they're saying, what what David was saying was jet engine size. Yeah. So, I don't know how I can miniaturize down to that level this quickly. And if you, there's pictures of them in the lab next to the, the, the model that they're building... And it's, uh, you know, they're standing next to it without the aid of ladders... Uh, I'm in a room you know, in, that in, in, is re- like your average living room size. The realities of science and having to do the the proper thermal shielding, I I am very skeptical. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not possible. Fair enough. So in the 1960s, the United States military had live feed. <laughs> Video feeds from satellites going to some of their ships. Where are they now? So, um, Goes. one one little uh, comment that I had. Um, okay, so we we are a big fan of, you know, the Tony Stark would be Elon Musk, you know, he generating is. all this all this crazy stuff, all this hubbub. Yeah. Um, Actually, he's probably Howard Stark. Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Oh, um, God, so his son. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see, how, see what happens. So um, there's also this other guy named Jeff Bezos. You know, we've talked about Amazon at some length, yes. but not so much about Mr. Bezos. He is a insanely wealthy man. Uh, now in the in the range of Warren Buffett and beyond, he is also financing Blue Origins almost entirely out of pocket. God, I wish I had that kind of like just spare money lying around. <laughs> so I just wanted to point out that, yeah, Elon Musk is is doing SpaceX and he's doing some great stuff, but he's doing it with mostly NASA backing and everything. Yeah. 
Now, th- then you've got <laughs> Bezos and, and Blue Origins. Yeah, they've done the, they, they managed to stick a landing of a rocket, you know, in the same way, retro rocket style, before SpaceX, though it's smaller. Agreed, smaller, easier to do. However, Bezos is on the record that he wants a colony on the moon, and then he also wants a colony on Mars. He has a plan to build rockets that are larger than the Saturn V and wants to create a basically a transit route back and forth to the moon. Like regular scheduled stuff. He is going to build a colony on the moon without government assistance. I just I just wanted to point out that that is a possible future that is where we're headed. He is the article building from the the article headline from the Washington Post, an exclusive look at Jeff Bezos's plan to set up Amazon-like delivery for future human settlement of the moon. Yeah. Now, the Washington Post is a paper that he owns as well. Fair. So, full disclosure on that. He's using his own mouthpiece as a as a promotional tool. as a promotional. So tool. if I'm on but, the moon, yeah. how much would it cost, and how fast would an Amazon Prime delivery be? It, well, <laughs> it'd be by drone. It'd be by one of those little drones, and it'd probably be on you know whatever lunar distribution center they have, because that only makes sense. Yeah, their lunar you know, fulfillment if, center. Yeah, the, the lunar fulfillment Mars, center. You probably want to launch from the moon. Yeah, because uh, it's well. Yep. Really, the moon would be the fuel source. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, it would be the staging area. Yeah, because it's a gravity well that is easier to escape. It's yeah. far and enough building. away far enough away from Earth that if anything horrible happens, it doesn't impact the, ho- the home planet, you know, necessarily. Uh, it just has a lot of options. There's also... I heard about some really crazy thoughts about actually, like, somehow terraforming the moon. And crashing, crashing enough comets into it to give it a spin? <laughs> That's not good. But how would that affect <laughs> the tides? I'm just... Look, I'm just like that. No, no, it would stay in the same place. Mostly. The problem is you're adding <laughs> mass to it, which over time... Well, right now it's escaping. Yeah. Right now, the moon is is currently escaping several centimeters every year. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't yeah, want it necessarily to come back. Yeah, we we got <laughs> some we got some interesting interesting thoughts on terraforming the moon, and also uh, about some ideas for how they're going to actually provide Mars with a electromagnetic shield. Back to the moon for a brief minute. Is anybody else having flashbacks (laughs) of the Time Machine movie where, oh, look, all those wonderful things are occurring when you went to the future, the near future, and they were talking about terraforming the moon and they were opening up a brand new, (laughs) a brand new habitation area in the moon using using like high high yield nuclear devices, and then they literally cracked the damn moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's been a fear. I'm like, that's been a fear. Wait a minute here, this isn't good. (laughs) Um, actually, if uh, you know what, we'll just, I'm not feeling great, so I think maybe we should wrap the rest of the show. So, uh, right. picks right now, 
Seven Eves. If you want, it starts with, and then the moon broke. <laughs> that's what. That's where the novel begins. Okay. Love him, Miguel <laughs> They don't know what happened. They don't know why it happened. All they know is the moon broke into three pieces, and then it got worse from I, there. I'm now interested. Keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to leave it right there because I'm not going to give you any spoilers because it's I don't want spoilers. I just want give you the dust jacket, man. It's 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 a great book, uh Seven Eves. It's it's quite the read. Um it spans a long time period. But you wouldn't know it. It's it's basically like two stories in in one. There's the There's the uh right after this happens and then all the things that happen to people. And then fast forward uh, about a thousand years. And then you kind of pick up and see what happens. It was a bit jarring when I first, because I was doing audiobook. So when it immediately went from that to that, I was like, whoa, wait, where am I now? It's a little bit, a little bit funky of a transition. So just be warned that that happens. But yeah, it's a great book. So seven eaves. Well, if we're doing book ones, I've got another one that starts off in a, a delightfully weird area. Uh, if you like horror, I highly suggest Mr. Be Gone. Uh, it is a book that literally tells you, whatever you do, please do not read this book. It is a mm. book is that, that Clive is, Barker? Yes, that is Clive Barker. And I love Clive it, Barker. And it is about a, a a demon named Mr. B who is currently trapped in this book. Huh. Mr. B is a short metafiction uh, novel by Clive Barker published in the United Kingdom in 2007. It's short, it's wonderful, it's delightful, it's twisted, and it's fun. Dan Nazarene. Interesting, interesting. Uh, huh. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, that's two. I just put one in the uh, oh. in the picks link. Okay, I'll, I'll scroll. The book I've actually purchased. I haven't quite put this method to test yet, but I am learning it, and I'm going to be doing it. It's uh, the book is called "The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up: The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing." As anyone who's seen my room knows that I desperately need this. Uh, a little bit of feng shui? Um, <laughs> it is... The the method, the way she goes through it, it, it does have a very sort of Eastern bent to it in certain ways of doing things. Um, but she is Japanese. This is literally what she does now and travels all over the world doing this with people. It is a very simple, very straightforward way of here's how you declutter your home once, essentially, over... She says quickly and strongly, which for her, with most houses with her clients, she says takes about six months. But once you're done going through this method, you pretty much don't ever have to do it again. Because once you're done, you have the mindset in your brain, especially after six months of doing it, you just keep that and just keep going, and there's not a problem. At that point, you're doing the little daily, daily tidying ups, but there's not a problem because her whole thing mostly comes down to look at all the stuff that you have. 
all the random crap and everything else, how much of this actually gives you pleasure in your life? How much of it actually is like, you know, good for you? If it's not, get rid of it. Oh, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> no, that's not going to work for me. Yeah, but how much stuff on that back shelf actually still, you look at it and go, there still gives you value, still gives you pleasure. Probably a lot of the stuff on that shelf back there. All, all, all of it, yeah. No, I, I can't declutter. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> no, I think it's you not clutter if it's because, shelved. Because what, yeah, that's not clutter, but also what she does, is one of the main things she goes through is not like, okay, just do, throw one thing a day. Okay, don't just tackle one room at a time. Her thing is, the okay, go by category. Start with clothing and go with that and do all your clothing. Now what you're done with clothing, go to something else. Because clothing is usually typically one of the easiest. Like, well, I've never worn this shirt. Okay, she has, a, she has a way for you to get rid of it properly and everything else. Like, you can either toss it, donate it, whatever. But then you really pare down. Hmm. You know, this is what I have. This is what I need. This stuff gives me pleasure still. Cool. This stuff gives me pleasure, but I don't really wear it, so that gets stored. And this other stuff gets donated and thrown away. Done. So I will be beginning this process hopefully very soon. So I'm sure you'll be hearing more about it later on as I... Go through it screaming and decluttering. Interesting. Okay. Oh, I, I should have mentioned, I'm sorry to, to go back a step, but uh, Seven Eves is uh, by Neil Stevenson. So that, that may lend a little bit more uh, credence to, to some some of our listeners out there. Because it's good. It's, it's a good book. <laughs> so Okay. <clears throat> All right. What's next? What's next? What's next? I got nothing. You got nothing? Okay. <laughs> I got nothing. Amber? How about your books? Uh, yeah, my, my books are, <laughs> are always good. Um, I write under the pen name Lana Hart. Um, they're up on Amazon.com. Um, but I also want to recommend pretty much all of the short stories that are coming out of Tor.com right now. They're also available on Amazon for 99 cents each. Um, and they're just fantastic. I, I think I've maybe read one out of several dozen that didn't resonate with me. They're just incredible. Um, in particular, I would recommend Extracurricular Activities by Yoon Ha Lee, which is a space opera adventure set in a distant future where an undercover agent has to go behind enemy lines to recover a lost ship and a possible traitor. Um, the Devil in America, which is easily the most disturbing story I've ever read in my life. Um, and I've read some seriously e- disturbing ones even in by uh, Kai Ashante <laughs> Wilson, which uh, is scant years after the Civil War. A mysterious family confronts the legacy that has pursued them across centuries out of slavery and finally to the idyllic peace of the town Rose Tree. The shattering consequences of this confrontation echo backwards and forwards in time, even to the present day. Uh, and then the third one I would recommend is a dead gin in Cairo. Um, which is Egypt 1912, an alternate Cairo infused with the otherworldly, the Ministry of Alchemy, Enchantments, and Supernatural Entities investigate disturbances between the mortal and the possibly divine. What starts off as an odd suicide case for special investigator Fatma el-Shawari leads her through the city's underbelly as she encounters rampaging ghouls, saucy assassins, clockwork angels, and plot that could unravel time itself. Clockwork what was the name of the first one? The first one was Extracurricular Activities by Yoon Ha Lee. Amber, could you drop a couple links, or at least the book titles in the notes? Because I think those are going to be important for people. 
Yes, as, I as will do that. But they are they're all fantastic. I mean, I've read a bunch of other ones like The Human Stain and stuff like that. Um that are really good as well. But those three were the ones that like really, really got me. Um that and the Popper Prince and the Gin and the Eucalyptus tree, I think is or the Popper Prince and the Eucalyptus Gin is another one. And that one is like a metaphysical <laughs> mind fuck, but it's, it's really fantastic. It's, it's a melding of like culture and, you know, being a Pakistani immigrant and, uh, it, it, it's, and mythology and how it can dictate, um, even like the rational brain and things like that. It's, it's fantastic. But these are all really good. They're only 99 cents each. Um, and they even have compilation volumes that are either free or 99 cents themselves. of just like the best from this year or the best from 2016 or, or whatever. And that that's Tor? Yes, Tor.com. Huh. And I put three links in. Okay. Excellent. I'll have all those in the show notes. And, of course, you can find those at O'Reilly Radio. Dot com for show 148. Now, of course, we have we have other things that we could talk about, but it is late. I'm feeling ill. Therefore, uh, I'm going to shelve it. So we'll uh, we'll just the the bad things will still be here. The how bad could it be? Things are still going to be here, like eight prominent Russians all dead in five five months. No big deal, right? Last was a few days ago. Yeah, a number of DC youths are missing. Mm-hmm. Mostly black and Latina. Yep. Yeah, just yeah, little little things like that. Yeah. Something like fourteen in two months. Yeah. Human trafficking—it's uh, a serious problem, actually. Yeah, total, especially in America. Men and women uh, in the D.C. area at uh, around noon today was of the reported cases twenty-two. Twenty-two. Oh dear. That's that's not so good. But fourteen of those were in the last two months. And we had uh, we had four in Law and Order. So you know, well, that was one of them was the uh, DC teens, uh, but also age discrimination. Uh, talking about the RNC hiding the payments that we we mentioned about a little bit. Mubarak um, walk, walks free. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's always more to talk about. So we we try to have a good conversation. I think we've we've managed to do that. So we're gonna we're gonna leave this and maybe we'll come back to them. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be overwhelmed by the next travesty that comes out of out of the. Uh... <laughs> we will we will hopefully be here to speak on everything again <laughs> on Trash Day, so more stuff doesn't slip through the cracks. So true on Trash Day. I'd, I'd never really put that together, but yeah, that's we we do get a lot of breaking news on Friday. Yeah. A lot of breaking news, a lot of I, bad things. So. They addressed it on the West Wing, and no, it, from from people in Washington, try and announce all your stuff that you don't want reported on Friday, because the weekend editions, as we mm-hmm. all know, don't usually focus on politics. Yeah, they're light. They're, they try to be nice and happy. Mm. So by the time it rolls around to Monday, nobody cares. Gone and forgotten. Like this episode will be in just a minute. So... <laughs> 
Alrighty, that that is going to do it for uh, for show 148. So, if you've enjoyed what we've done here and you'd like to help us out, there's a few ways that you can do that. You can donate to the show through our Patreon at www.patreon.com/slash/overlyradio. O r l y r a d i o, and get early access show content when available. Also, uh, you, you know what? I have been putting some things up there. I've been putting the outtakes, and I've been putting some of the things that don't fit into our normal category. Some of the in-between stuff that we that we do, I um, I still load up the video, and and I'll put that up there as a patron-only post. So there is some stuff up there that only some people are going to see, and a lot of that's you know the deep, juicy stuff about us that probably might not even want to know but if you're a true voyeur you do so hey come on pay some money and go get all that also uh make the algorithms work for us by reviewing us on itunes to boost our ranking and let us know that you gave us a review so we can give you a shout out please uh use your words tell somebody else about the show get us in front of more of your friends and people that you think would enjoy the content or maybe benefit from it and, of course, engage with us directly. Send us a message on the social medias or the electronic mails at Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you're the more talkative sort, we've got that voice line, 470-222-ORLY. That's 6759. And it's always ready to take your call or your text. And if you don't like what we've done here this evening, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255, available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Lifeline provides free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Thank you for choosing to waste your valuable time with us. This has been O'Reilly Radio, part of the Random Acts Company. This work is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license, including the Music Rocket and Pemgea, created by Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Toodles! You know what? Also, um, <laughs> you guys, if if somebody wants to get a hold of you, I really should add this to the show. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what method would you like them to do so? Do you have social medias and, and Twitter accounts that, that we should we should add here? I'd be all up for that. Let me set up the email address for the show, and then definitely that way. <laughs> yeah. Possibly, okay. possibly alternate ways as well, but preferably just I'll email through the show. Probably okay. set up a Facebook account just for the show. Yeah, I, I that, will probably ah. do the same thing. Well, okay. I'll do that as well. There we go. Well, all right. There's something for you to look forward to. So... We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.